The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. A jacket made of goalkeeper gloves. The schadenfreude of one set of fans not realising the ball hasn't actually gone in. Futile tactical advice shouted from the stands. And is there such thing as a textbook trademark header? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of the subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 60, that's open brackets S-I-X-T-Y of the Football Clichés pod. I'm Adam Hurry and with me, first of all, Jack Pitbrook. How are you? Hot Champions League action this week. It's really odd, but as much as people keep trying to reinvent it and obviously there's kind of natural um, aversion to the commercialism of it all, why does it keep delivering year after year? I don't know. It was the Juve Porto last night was the best game. I think I, so. I did think that Barca PSG was the best game I've seen this season, or maybe the best game since mm. COVID. I think Juve Porto was the best game since COVID. It was the best game since 2019. It was so exciting. It was just classic Champions League. There was a ridiculous red card. There was a game-changing away goal right at the end. Uh, there was Cristiano Ronaldo. There was Pepe. There was <laughs> Andrea Pirlo was involved. It was just the, it was the complete package, and it was really, really good. Like Porto were really good, and uh, yeah, fantastic. I think every I got a sense that at the start of the night, a lot of people were watching the Dortmund game just to watch Haaland uh, do a madness, as you would say. Mm. But uh, yeah. and he did do a madness. But even then, Juve Porto was was the draw. It was so good. All it made me think that was that Pepe was even more hard done by not getting into our pure Champions League eleven. Oh God, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you live and you live and you learn. Alongside you today, our very special guest. It's it's actor, comedian, writer, Federico Chiesa lookalike, apparently. And most importantly, Jack's co-star in Friday Night Dinner, it's Tom Rosenthal. <laughs> Hello, thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. I'm thrilled to be uh, on this podcast because I'm a big fan of your uh, pernickety approach to football journalism. Thank you uh, very I, much. I, I feel like we are somewhat kindred spirits. Well, I, when I first started doing stand-up, I did a joke about the different denominations of pace that football commentators say. Oh, yes. Which which never really worked particularly well as stand-up, but I, I feel like only you would have found it funny. I think that's it basically should have just been one of your tweets. I don't know whether... Have you ever, done, have you ever broken down the different aspects of pace? I think I have. I, I, please tell me what what you your research well, uncovered, because okay, so I think I, it might I, be eerily similar to mine. I, yeah, I mean, so the ones that I found were... Uh, the first one's bags of pace. I yeah. never never really highlighted how many bags anyone has. It's just general plural bags of Correct. speed. And then and then you go bags of pace, go lightning pace, which is scary. Mm. And you go frightening pace, which is even scarier. Mm-hmm. And then you ha- you'd have pace to burn, right? Yep. Which is so pacey, it, it could be used as some sort of fossil fuel. And then This uh, is almost plagiarism, but please continue. Well, I, I feel like maybe you plagiarised me, or, or, or we, we've just basically <laughs> got the same brain. But then you've got you've got you've got pace to burn. Then you've got electric pace, which is a sort of greener alternative, uh, which is a bit more kind to the environment. And then, of course, <laughs> the paces of the paces, the, the the most pacey of all is genuine pace, <laughs> yes. which suggests that all the other paces are some kind of fraud, like they're <laughs> they're counterfeits, right? As I said, yeah. never really went down that well in the clubs up and down the country. But uh, I feel like you, you know, you you would have liked that so much that you thought it yourself. <laughs> 
It's literally word for word. This is absolutely incredible. Um, I, I, if I was to steal jokes, I'd steal funnier ones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know which of us is going to be subject to legal action at the end of this, but uh, I really hope it's not me. But anyway, uh, you are about as welcome as someone could possibly be after all of that. So thank you. Um, before we get stuck into your selections for Mesut Harland Dicks this week, we have the adjudication panel and it's a cracker. First of all, Jack, last week, Burnley versus Leicester. Um, Sky's Bill Leslie it would seem to me, is absolutely sick of apologising for swearing. He wasn't happened just before when he failed to get a good punch on it. Convinced he'd been fouled. It's time for a bad language apology. Yeah, I think it was Schmeichel. (laughs) Thomas' middle name, Alan Smith there, Jack, trying to introduce a little bit of levity to the situation. I mean, they're coming to the end of their natural tether with with swearing generally, commentators, I think. Yeah, it, uh, it's good that because it, it shows a kind of retreat from uh, the sort of the worst aspects of like pomposity and prurience amongst football, <laughs> amongst football commentators, which is the, you know, the kind of feigning of shock. Like, do you remember the famous one where... Rooney completed that hat trick at Upton Park in about 2011, and the camera, like the camera, did that kind of annoying Sky Sportsy thing of, go, of going up in Rooney's face. And I think Rooney told the camera to fuck off. And then they're like, oh, I can't believe he said that. We're so sorry. And it's, uh, you know, it's obviously a situation which the TV networks have concocted themselves. And so I think it's better, you know, the the TV's obviously getting an awful lot out of uh, showing this uh, silent football at the moment. So I think it's only right that they can't get on a high horse when they hear Casper Schmeichel swear. Uh, moving on, Amazon Prime's coverage of West Brom nil, Newcastle nil, Jack, on Sunday lunchtime uh, brought uh, brought together the uh, ideal partnership of Clive Tilsey and Ali McCoy's. But they broke what I believe, or at least I now have decided, is some sort of golden rule of football broadcasting, which is that you should never, ever mention any other broadcasters or their programming. Where do you think our friends at Match of the Day will have this pencilled in for this evening at this stage? Tuesday. (laughs) I mean, a couple of things to mention here, Jack. First of all, solid seven, eight out of ten banter between commentator and and, uh, co-commentator and just the lovely kind of pause afterwards as the game sort of idly went on where we all kind of just just soaked in the glory of it all. But fundamentally, I I don't think I've ever heard a commentator mention another broadcaster by name or programme by name. It felt very weird. Yeah, yeah, they they never do really, do they? It's always, uh, even on, if you watch cricket, sometimes They'll, Sky Sports and Test Match Special, uh, which is BBC, obviously won't especially name each other. I don't know if it's... Is it respect or is it, you know, we must pretend they don't exist? What I love about that is uh, McCoy's absolutely nails the second half of that. The, the, the finish that gag. It's like Rangers. It's like Rangers 1993. It's like he's been put through <laughs> He's been put through by Loudrop and he's absolutely <laughs> nailed the finish. Yeah, he did. I mean, Amazon Prime, Tom, just breaking all the rules. They just do whatever they like. Yeah, I feel like... Amazon is such a behemoth. There is a world where they only put the league table up uh, relating to the matches that have appeared on Amazon Prime. <laughs> so like Aston Villa win the title with two wins or something like that. You know what I mean? It uh, would be Villa as well. I'm sure it, if yeah. someone mid tabley is only ever shown on Amazon Prime. So I think you might be onto something. My, my household is a very big uh, fan of Amazon Prime because they put my father back on the prime time uh, coverage. So. <laughs> They're, they're, they're filling my inheritance pockets as we speak, really. Hopefully they can keep trotting them out and getting the, the, the nostalgia dollar from all the people who watched football in the 90s going, oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi, Jim, by the way. Hope you're listening. I bet he is. Hello. Hello to you, father. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love you. <laughs> fine. Fine to say. Fine uh, to say. Yeah. Our last item for the adjudication panel this week, Tom, presumably kind of an open and shut case. This is from Match of the Day 2. Um, the BBC Steve, Steve Wilson uh, commentating on Christian Benteke's goal against Spurs. Let's dig into this one. Chance for a cross. Milivojevic carefully. Benteke! Brilliant! In stoppage time at the end of the first half, Christian Benteke with a textbook trademark header from Milivojevic's cross. Listener Travelling Teacher got in touch, Tom, and said Match of the Day 2 has just described Benteke's goal as a textbook trademark header. Mm. Um, not for me, Clive. I, he's onto something. I mean, can you have a textbook trademark header? Surely they're, they're, right. they're clashing concepts. 
Well, I suppose the textbook is in the world of the classroom, whereas the trademark is, is in the world of the corporation. Uh, so I suppose you'd have to argue, unless it was in some kind of corporate training environment, uh, <laughs> it, it, it would be an impossibility. But of course, they do exist. So maybe this is a sort of a, a, a business college uh, or some kind of um, uh, training for people who are yeah in uh, e-commerce or something. Uh, and that is the world in which this commentator is operating. A textbook trademark, or it could be, of course, a company that creates textbooks. Yes, uh, yes. Which would make sense if the analogy is purely taking place within uh, the world of educational books. <laughs> Fascinating angle you've taken there. Um, Jack, unless, unless you were looking up, trademark header in a textbook i feel like that's the only way you could have a textbook trademark header because they are by definition um, i'm just gonna repeat the question and then uh, and then uh, see if you can come up with the answer i was hoping for yeah the two concepts are mutually exclusive like textbook like trademark suggests or trademark implies heterodoxy doesn't it it implies it's something yes, unusual it like a trademark i don't know like a trademark penanka or a trademark volley mm. perhaps or just uh it's Whereas textbook is just something, you know, it's kind of coaching manual. It's something that every, every under 11s team is taught to do. So it can't, it, it, and I guess maybe if you had like the most orthodox play, the most orthodox player in the world, his trademark play would be textbook. But then if he was mm. the most orthodox player in the world, it wouldn't be trademark. He'd just be like there in the subsumed well, into exactly. all the other footballers. But if you take the classic case of like Hoover, that is a, a, a trademark which has become the way in which we refer to the textbook. Like Tannoy. Exactly, oh, yeah. yeah. So it could just be one true, of those, yeah. basically. That is an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, you've got there in the producer, end. Producer Dave threw his kind of awe into the mix and said, perhaps he just got it the wrong way around. You could, you could have a trademark textbook header, as Jack suggests. His trademark thing is just doing things by the book. <laughs> What an um, awful trademark to have. Yeah, that is what, rubbish, isn't that's it? That's an absolutely terrible cop show, isn't it? It just <laughs> yeah. by the book. <laughs> really, really well known for doing it. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no offence to the BBC's Steve Wilson, but we had to we had to we had to nail this. We had to figure out what the hell he was talking about. Um so, I think he definitely uh, thought as deeply about it when he said it as well. I think he's almost certainly taken all of these things into account before saying it. There was it. a hint of hesitation in there where he knew what he'd done. He knew what he'd done. They didn't edit <laughs> it out. on BBC. He opened Pandora's the box. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, speaking of opening Pandora's boxes, let's do Tom Rosenthal's Mesut Harland dicks. Appropriately enough, you're wearing a Mesut Ozil Fenerbahce t-shirt right now yeah. as we speak. Yeah. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm currently in Turkey and I saw uh, a T-shirt in the official Fenerbahce club shop, which described Meza Ozil as the wizard of Fenerbahce, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that he's appeared four times and been quite bad by all accounts. So I just sort of had to buy it. And, it's inappropriate uh, dumping asking, as far as you're concerned. I'm asking anyone to refer to me as the wizard of uh, Canterbury. And <laughs> 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 uh, hoping that catches on, really. Tell us about your, your first love of football. Right. Okay, this is very exciting. Um, specifically, it is any time a team wears their away shorts with the home shirt or vice versa. More generally, any time a player has to wear a kit that's not sort of pre-approved. Uh, right. So this was actually came to my head recently when Bernd Leno uh, had to wear the Arsenal away kit in mm. goal um, because... Uh, the normal goalie kit is uh, black and Wolves were playing in gold and black and the change goalie kit was peach and that was too similar to Arsenal's red. So Leno ended up wearing the away kit while Arsenal were in the home kit and for some reason that just gives me a lovely little feeling inside my stomach. Uh, and I, right. I, I've been trying to think of examples. I don't really have a very good brain um, for remembering stuff. I'm not, I'm not like Jack. I've, I've watched games of football with Jack before and something will happen and be like, oh, that's like Roy Delap in 1995 in Stoke versus <laughs> Reading at the Britannia on the same day that Tony Poulos' dog had died or something. I'm just like, what are you talking about? So so I, I've been trying to go back through history and I found one time when Chelsea went to Coventry, but they yeah. brought the wrong kit yes. and then they had to wear the Coventry away kit. And it's just this horrible mishmash of colours. Uh, and basically, 
if you've ever seen me dress in real life, which you wouldn't, why would have you done? I just like really <laughs> colourful stuff. I like things that clash. And so any kind of like bizarre mis- mishmats of, of colours that are a result of a sort of administrational error, um, I, I just get really excited about basically. That's my first love, my first deep love of football. Oh, well, in that case, we have something to run past you in a very short moment. But first of all, Jack, just to summarise this situation uh, and give my opinion and my take on it, I say mishmash kits are bad, even if it's administratively necessary, but goalkeepers in away shirts, good. Interesting. Yeah, goalkeepers, goalkeepers in away shirts, good. Both teams in the same kit, great. That's a non-league staple. Uh, for kind of unforeseen, unforeseen kit clash, uh, unforeseen kit clash, lost kit, kit left on the bus, you know, uh, in the Unibon Prem, Ryman Prem, uh, maybe in step one and two, it's a little bit more organized, so it doesn't happen so much. But from step three and below, it's a staple and it's very good. It's, it's, it's always very funny. Uh, can I can I flag up a favorite example of this? This is yes. not not from non-league, but from the uh, the the opposite end of the football spectrum, and that is the 1978 World Cup, when mm. I was doing some research on this earlier, uh, when France turned out in green and white stripes uh, when they were playing a dead group game against Hungary, basically because uh, there was some issue with their kit. They were asked to wear... They were asked not to wear their home kit. The, fr- yep. uh, the FFF ignored this request. They got to the game. They realised that their kit would clash. They had to go to local team not Van- Temperley Atletico Kimberley uh, Oh Kimberley yeah, sorry it looks like it looked like a Banfield kit because it's green and white stripes it's not Banfield it's Atletico Kimberley so they so they played this game wearing some local green and white stripes with their obviously classically french blue sh- blue shorts and red socks and you know oh. that that is the kind of I mean that that's the kind of thing that would happen in school football so it's amazing it to have it in an actual Sunday League World football. Cup in 1978 fantastic I'm just. I have to Google that right now and see a picture of it because that's, it's oh, gloriously that's beautiful. Sunday. It's so ugly and pretty at the same time. <laughs> what a horrible mess! <laughs> yeah, I really want to own that kit. I want to own that you, full kit. <laughs> along those lines, um, this week something ghastly emerged. Tom, um, it was the creation of Nicole McLaughlin, who, and this is not in my words. Oh, the I mean, upcycling I want to buy it. I want to buy it. You think it's horrible? I, I'm like desperate. How do I own that? Um, for people who aren't aware of this absurd piece of clothing it is a an upcycled jacket made of old goalkeeper gloves and um it wouldn't be this product if it didn't come with a little bit of um sort of half-hearted marketing gumpf um nicole mclaughlin's uh, creation says it comes with different panels making up a statement making outerwear piece that is complete with velcro fastening at the cuffs and hem tom in in its own weird way fucking brilliant i love it? it i love it it's beautiful you you say half-hearted marketing puff uh, as clearly as a man who hates that sort of stuff but that is aimed directly at me like <laughs> I, I, any stupid chat around why a kit is designed in a particularly strange way i think the man united one the, the pink one they said it was somehow based on the brick of old Trafford or something and i was like i just then desperate to own it uh, uh, these people these marketing people are in my head and they've made me desperately want to buy a jacket that's made of gold gloves. It's presumably some sort of high fashion thing that's going to cost thousands of pounds. Um, and I just might have to sell some much more important stuff to buy it. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's so high fashion. It's not even, you know, it doesn't go, oh, buy it here. It just goes, this is a person. This is a thing that a model's going to wear. Uh, but and I, I just, I'm desperate to own it and wear it into the pub and get, I mean, I get non-sub abuse for everything that I wear. But uh, I, 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 I love it. A, a jacket made of goldie gloves. I just, I just need, need to own it, basically. Um, it's an illness. It's a sickness. Oh, that's fine. I mean, digging a little deeper into this, I mean, there, there were some pictures kind of circulating of this jacket from the front and the side. But then I found this picture of, the, of it from the rear. And there's actually a glove bag sewn on the back with gloves inside it, like a backpack. Beautiful. So it's actually a jacket for goalkeepers as well. So in case I, they get their gloves, I mean, they can, they've got I, a spare set. The goalkeeper's union outfit? I, I don't yeah. know. But we, <laughs> um, yeah, the jacket. When you get brought into the union, you get a jacket, like when you win a golf tournament. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jack, we asked our listeners to suggest um, situations or any sort of context where they might wear this monstrosity. Uh, and uh, Iteralde says, uh, the aesthetics of it all scream MotoGP to me. Uh, Andy Barge agrees. He simply says Donington. Yeah. Um, there is a there is a motorcycle aspect to it. Yeah, it has that like that shiny 
that, that it has the, the shininess of a motorsport jacket. If I've got one disappointment with this, it's that um, because it's a, you know it's a collaboration with Puma, so all the gloves that made it up are Puma gloves, which means it doesn't have the ultimate like ninth birthday present goalkeeper <laughs> glove brand, which of course is Roish. Yeah, Roish. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you've gone with Roish. Fair I enough. Was thinking, I was thinking Sondico. Son- you've gone for mm. Sondico. That's my classic children's uh, goalkeeper glove, yeah. Uh, I was a Roish but guy. I, I can't believe I'm now in a 33.3% minority on this podcast episode of only pronouncing it Sondico. This this oh, is no. a horrendous moment. You're both Sondico heads, are you? Uh, well, now you've said that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. Exactly. Oh, no, it's, it's a bit of a tomato-tomato situation. I mean, I, yeah, I'll go with my initial instinct and say Sondico. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. It, but it's not, it's, not, it's not Zico, is it? It's Zico. So, I mean, mm. um, what we're talking about now, I think, is, is probably writing an email to Roish and or Sondico and saying, you know, have you thought about any clothing lines? Because we could easily, uh, we could, you know, get, get, get a sort of deal for this, I reckon. I mean, I... I it's like a cut price Puma jacket and just sell it in H&M for 40 quid. Right? How, how much a second-hand Sondico's cost? You could surely get 40 of them for 40 quid. Um, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm, guessing it, I'm guessing it comes with a pair of trousers that are made of shin pads that, that would go yeah. with it. That would have been an incredible I, outfit. I also really hope that it stinks a lot of sweat. Like, yes. golf gloves yeah, need to have that musty Sunday league smell, otherwise I just don't want to purchase it. Ollie Hurry writes in and says... Um, if you're wearing this jacket, does that mean you have to spit on yourself and then clap the arms together? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you want to be a grip. Only if you're stepping off your seat. <laughs> you're hugging someone. You yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to spit all over yourself and then hug them. Sure, which is uh... COVID friendly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't think about that, did you, Nicole McLaughlin, upcycling master? Uh, but, um, yeah, a, a, a lovely um, coda to that little entry for Meza Harland Dix. Um, Tom, take us on to part two. Right, yes. My second love. Uh, okay, I think this is a pretty universal love. Um, it's basically when uh, you're in a stadium and you can see it's not a goal, but parts of the crowd supporting the team that you aren't supporting can't see it and they cheer. I mean, that's just absolutely fantastic. You get about five seconds feeling like you're a genius, essentially, <laughs> purely because of the nature of visual perspective. Like, you, you just think, oh, God, you fools over there supporting Southampton. Don't you know the basic rules <laughs> of physics? <laughs> it's just a beautiful little window of time where you feel so smart. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you get to lord it over the other fans. I suppose I, I love that moment. Another thing, I don't know whether I'm allowed to keep it at the same sort of point, but um, basically any time in a football stadium where one fan is standing up and pointing at a, a, an opposing team's fan and singling them out... <laughs> And going like, I want to fight you, you. I want to take you outside, you and I want to have a fight. And it's never, gonna, they're never going to happen. But I just love it when they're like, you, you. Well, like once, my friend, I, I, I was in um, Barcelona supporting Arsenal, and they have the, the away fans are above the Barca fans, right? And there was like a man. He was like ninety. He must have like a really old man from Barcelona, <laughs> and they were. He was doing this to my. Friend. <laughs> And my friend did this sort of gesture as if he was going to slit his throat or something. It was just amazing. Oh, it was like it was. Like, it's so funny. Like it's this weird bit of pantomime. Like really, mm. you're gonna you're gonna take this octogenarian Catalan out just just mm. because Almunia <laughs> dropped a ricket. Do you know, I just it's just fantastic. <laughs> Everyone becomes a, a little actor, a little street performer. I mean, I've never seen a fight happening at a football stadium, but I've seen that every single game. Just like you, <laughs> you. You're going down. It's like wrestling or something. It's just perfect. I miss that so much. To address Tom's initial point here, um, one set of fans thinking the ball has gone in while the others um, uh, sort of rejoice in the uh, dramatic irony of it all is perhaps the peak of footballing schadenfreude, I think. Literally unbeatable. Like, completely unbeatable as a fan. Uh, Even even as... If you're watching it on TV, it's incredible. Like, I remember... I can't, I, can't, I can't remember the specifics. I think it was maybe Burnley. Could it have been Burnley against Bolton in the Championship eight years ago? You know, I don't need why. I don't need why I need to be so specific about this because it happens all the all the time. But uh, just an incident of a goal being disallowed. One, I think, you know, one group of fans celebrating, the other group of fans giving it an incredibly long and luxurious ah 
afterwards, which lasted, you know, obviously, like, the celebration of the goal might have lasted, what, three seconds? And the, <laughs> yeah. the taunting of the celebrators lasted literally exactly. two minutes. You get it's two minutes of non-stop. It's better than a goal. Ah, ah, it is better than a goal. It's literally better than a goal. It's funnier than a goal because it's funnier than a goal. It lasts longer than a goal. It's, it's, it's pure, unlike a goal, it's just rooted in pure bitterness. Like, you're not even enjoying the finish or the move or the cross or the adjustment in the score. The only thing you're enjoying is the humiliation of the other fans because they've embarrassed themselves by celebrating a non-goal. It's miles better than a goal. Anyone can enjoy yeah. a goal, but enjoying the, enjoying the mm. other fans embarrass, embarrassing themselves is just on another level from a goal. Funnily enough, given that we've had a year without fans in stages and have been able to enjoy this very particular phenomenon, um, it still has a kind of... Um, kind of mid-COVID context, because Jack, we were having a, a very kind of fevered WhatsApp argument this week about um, uh, about the peripheral drawbacks of VAR, sadly, I'm, I'm sad to report. And um, I feel like this this very particular type of Schadenfreude taps into and kind of informs the whole VAR paranoia of having your celebrations cut short by VAR. This kind of, oh, you can't celebrate anymore because you just don't know if a goal's gone in or not. And and which is all, she's backed by this sensation of looking stupid in the eyes of your rival's fans. That that can't be the basis of any law of the game. Maybe we just need to get over it. It's fine. You can celebrate. And if you do look stupid afterwards, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Do what you want. I don't know. This is what it's all based on. Yeah, it's a difficult interplay, isn't it? Because um, you could argue that one of the beauties of VAR by disallowing more goals is that it actually increases the number of times that this will happen. (laughs) It means more like, ah, he celebrates a goal that wasn't a goal. Now, of course, that isn't quite the case because people don't (laughs) celebrate goals in quite the same way they would have done pre-VAR. But, you know, watch any game at Nat. It used to be that the that seeing fans celebrate a goal which was then disallowed was something which would only happen like once a year and you'd be like oh wow it's brilliant this whereas now it happens That's every true. week it's like Christmas yeah. come, it's like what if Christmas were to happen every week like it would become less <laughs> maybe, it, it would become less good like less less may, special maybe they should start disallowing goals that are perfectly legal just so we can get that like massive high like one out of 20 <laughs> goal they just go no, it's not a goal, actually. It's never been like, ah. <laughs> And you thought it would be a goal, you idiots. You idiots, you thought it would be a goal. <laughs> the best thing about it, I think at, it, at its very, very heart, is that you are ripping people apart for doing something that you yourself would clearly be guilty of maybe five minutes later or five minutes previously, which is which is a, a kind of comforting, kind of um, kind of egalitarian side of it, which is nice that we're all good, you know, at some point going to be susceptible to this horrendous well, phenomenon. Yeah, what a that's good the, shout! Basically, that's that's the heart of all comedy, isn't it? You're just sort of laughing at someone else because you know it could be you, and you're glad mm. it's not. And the, the beauty is, as Jack was saying, it's like the more vociferously they celebrate the goal, the more they turn around from the pitch to hug their friends, the more they close their eyes in like states of <laughs> unbelievable ecstasy, the more they're going to be look like an idiot when you go out and actually not got in the goal. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. And, and speaking of beauty, that leads us on to uh, your third love of football. Yes, well, more an aesthetic beauty, I suppose, rather mm. than a, uh, a comic one. But it's just uh, it's just World Cup match balls, generally. Okay. I think my love of World Cup match balls came from um, 1998, when my dad brought me a, a tricolore back from France 98. And I, for about a week, I was the king of the playground. Oh, more ITV uh, perks back in the golden days. A little days, bit, mate, it? the sweet ITV uh, cast-offs. I managed to get a ball... But I think some team were training with or something. So it was like the official actual oh, one. Nice. Uh, and I told everyone to be really careful with it. But then Callum Devine kicked it into a thorny bush. Uh, and oh, it, it basically slowly deflated, meaning we had to go back to those stupid little foam balls that go all brown when you kick them in a puddle. Um, is, he re- but- is he related to Peter Devine from uh, <laughs> no, the Cancock's Football Nightmares? <laughs> No, he's not. I've, I've never spoken to him since. <laughs> <laughs> you but twat, Callum. I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, I'm just one of those like dweebs who, who's really into design. I really like kits. I really like boots. And there's just something magical about every World Cup ball. Like, I can't imagine any of the iconic football World Cup moments without just immediately thinking of the ball. Like, hmm. you know, the, the, the hand of God. You can't think about it without the 1986 Tango Azteca. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you can't imagine Ronaldinho's free kick ballooning over a collapsing David Seymour without seeing Adidas' first effort at a post-Tango ball, the Ferranova. You know, mm. and and as we spoke before the podcast about the much maligned Jabalani, 
you know? Yes. The yes. worst performing football in World Cup history, but without doubt, in my opinion, the best named. As, as I said to you before, like whenever my friends were playing football and we we had a shot from long range, we would always just scream Jabalani. It's just great. It's just great to scream <laughs> after you've hit a, hit a long ranger. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much to say. I think I'm not really a collector, but if I could collect anything in the world, it would be uh, all, the, all the World Cup footballs, basically. They're just beautiful things, except Jack, the Ferranova. I, I think the Ferranova is an absolute mess of a ball, actually. Well, this, because, this is the and the reason point. is, sorry to keep yeah. ranting, but I think no. it was because it was the only one that the design did not incorporate the stitching of the ball. Yeah, it, it was just basically panels, and then they put a design over the top of it. Whereas the stuff, the beauty of the like the tango is that the the stitching like ref, ref, is reflected in the actual um, uh, design, uh, the actual oh, markings no, I mean, on the ball. I mean, yeah, yeah. as I said, I'm a, I'm a geek and a dweeb and a loser. <laughs> yeah, all of those things are true but Jack I, I, I kind of naively expected um, you know when I thought about this subject that it, it was a kind of generation proof kind of hierarchy of of good match balls I didn't think that you know a 20 something would look back at say I don't know the team geist or something like that which was what 2006 and think that was like the pinnacle of match ball design I would have thought that anybody worth their soul would know that this this, the truncated icosahedron design Classic. that I hold before me with the, with the you know the black pentagons and the and the white hexagons, mm. um, um, was was kind of the entry level, you know, symbolic iconic World Cup football. And then things got steadily better from there with your tangos, etc. And then everything since then has just been an, a pitiful decline. Yeah, I I get that. I think personally, I love the the fuss about like the complaints about the ball is just yes. so good mm. like the, the fact that if you the adidas jabalani wikipedia page is a section called criticism which is a, <laughs> yeah. a, pretty, a brilliant section for many reasons one is that it's just full of these like absolute greats of the game moaning about the ball and also moaning about the ball in like uh in kind of fifa speak buffon saying the new model is absolutely inadequate and i think it's shameful letting play such an important competition where a lot of champions take part with a ball like this. And even better is uh, Joe Hart, of all people, saying, the balls have been doing anything but staying in my gloves. Which sounds like it's... Has that been translated back and forth? Like, it, doesn't sound like Joe, it doesn't sound like Joe Hart's natural speaking voice at all. Um, it's like he's doing an anti-advert for it. It's like, yeah. it's like a strap line. That's, that's a really weird yeah. quote. But, um, yeah, but the, he, he, he needs like, to get <laughs> so and, and like I, I don't know whether this is true or not. Like it seems like there were enough complaints about the Jabalani to think that it might be true. But I think it is one of those things that is such a big part of World Cup tradition now that people would probably say it anyway, right? Like they would. It's just an easy story in the week up, week building up to the World Cup. You know, some players worried about the new ball. That said, I was surprised earlier that I couldn't remember the name of the World Cup 2018 ball, and it had to look it up. Did either of you guys get it? I mean, you mean the Telstar? The Telstar. Yes. Yeah, I had to look yeah. it up. I think these things—they're all forged in memory, really. I—I—it's I, weird. I'm never excited that much about the ball uh, in the present time. Uh, I feel mm. like it's—it's it's just completely looking back, and because uh, every World Cup, uh, it's just such magical times. Even I remember it with my rubbish brain, uh, mm. and I always remember it kind of via the ball, like it's almost like a smell. Um, brings your back memories. I just feel like looking at the ball, I can suddenly start to see all these matches and all these goals that I saw. Mm. Um, and uh, I guess maybe, therefore, by that reasoning, I should be more um, emotional about the 2018 ball because it was the one that we did quite well with. But uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's good news for um, it's good news for Adidas that we all seem to kind of um, um, zoom in on these kind of iconic balls, which are pretty much all made by them. But um, Jack, did you know? The, the 1966 World Cup official match ball, you know, which is, again, is fairly imprinted in our brains, that big orange thing that may or may not have gone over the line, um, was made by Slazenger. Wow. That's been ironed out of history. No one mentions that. It's just not cool enough, is it? It's tennis. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, tennis and some cricket equipment. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I didn't, you yeah. get a, a whole, we could do a whole article on that. Yeah, it feels like they should be really hammering that out in their adverts. I've never seen a Slazenger advert, but I feel like... Uh... You know, exactly. the one company that brought us the World Cup might be a better selling point than uh, low-level cricket bats. <laughs> they they would sell way more um, unnecessary socks in Sports Direct if oh, people I'd be knew buying that they... all sorts of goalkeeper glove jackets from them if they were selling <laughs> like that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. But that's a delightful sele- selection of, um, of loves, but um, it's always more exciting to talk about things you hate, or at least find irrationally annoying. Tom, hit us with the first one. Well, yes, forgive me if I've become too uh, whiny or emotional about any of these points, but uh, the first one uh, is quite a clinical one. And mm-hmm. it, uh, I get, illustri- I get I- I- irritated by the way in which the football uh, industry talks about league form because they always talk about the last five matches that a team has played without any reference to the quality of the opposition that they played in those matches. So someone could say they're in really good form uh, when Mm -hmm. a team has played like the bottom five teams in the league and they could be in really bad form when they've played all the teams in the Champions League places and it's just not referred to. So basically this came as a result of being an Arsenal fan in the sort of mid to late Wenger years when we would batter all the teams that were rubbish and we'd never get anything off the teams that were good. And so Mm. people would go, oh, they're in very good form going into this match. And actually we we weren't. We we weren't a good team. We just played all the bad teams. And so I, I, I basically feel like we should have some sort of metric by which you can assess the quality of the teams that a team have played against before you start making assessments on their recent form. Well, the interesting thing is, I, I looked at this point before we started and I thought, this looks particularly pedantic, maybe even for us. I mean, where are we mm. going to go with this? And it, it made sorry. me... It made me question. No, no. It made me question the entire kind of inner workings and machinations of uh, of football journalism. Because Jack, you know, it's bread and butter stuff to look back at a team to say last six games or, or you know their start to the season or anything like that. Are we are we completely fooling ourselves here? Um, it doesn't work, does it? Well. I hope it does work because I do it all the time. Like we all do it all the time. <laughs> Imagine if we stripped all the athletic articles out. Imagine if we stripped from every athletic article. They've won five of the last six, or Tottenham have only won two of the last seven in all competitions, or whatever. We'd look, it would be like com- making it more complex to make it more true would be a nightmare. Nobody wants that. <laughs> well, you I mean, you, I know you've been talking about the XG thing recently, but it's, it's just an, another thing of that. I think basically it only really works with league form, but you could have a qualification to the league form, say they're in very good league form, um, and the you know the average of the recent positions they played is like five or six or whatever I, I, I don't know how you would illustrate it but it would be some sort of algorithm which you could then, then simplify which would then give a qualification to the recent league form which i currently just think is is not quite as informative as uh, the whole industry seems to suggest it is i i, I think we're onto something i think we, we're close to the definitive answer here we, I, it seems to me we've got two options um, for how we describe form from now on either one we take your very scientific approach which is to kind of average out the league position of your opponents across any game span that you like last five games work out how strong the teams were that you played or you could just say in any case of talking about a team's form you have to go back 38 games and uh, and find out their results against all all you know 19 other opponents home and away and you have to express it like that all the time well, I, I also think this is a very interesting statistic which is completely ignored which is the difficulty of the league season which you have faced right because you could be playing teams who are an average higher in the league right so your season could be by definition a harder season than another yeah. team because you could have been playing teams when they were all in good form, whereas another team could have been playing teams when they were all in bad form. So you could then work out whose season was the hardest and therefore who, you know, genuinely would have had the best season in relation to the amount of points that they accrued during the match matches. But you've just You're said tearing to- apart the whole structure of a league. This is incredible. Well, I, I don't know. I just think it'd be interesting, you know, because they always do like league tables of like, oh, what would have happened if VAR hadn't interfered or... You know, how many points would they have had if there hadn't been any penalties or whatever? And I just think I would like to see a league table which illustrates who actually had the hardest season, who actually had the easiest season related to how difficult the opponents were in terms of league position. 
Jack, get on it. I think league league tables that take too much stuff into account are really bad. Don't you think? Like mm-hmm. like league league tables league tables where you know where they take VAR out of out out of play or where league tables after sixty minutes or whatever that sort of thing. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like what? football matches are really big, complex places where mil- literally millions and millions of different things happen. And the idea that you can just take one of those... Yeah, but you know, I, I don't like out. them. I don't like them. Okay, good. I'm saying that my idea is more interesting to me. Because what you're doing is you're saying who actually had the hardest season, who actually had the but you just season. Said, but, you, but your justification for that was, well, if Arsenal played Aston Villa when they were in good form, then Arsenal should get extra points for that. But then, like, five okay. minutes before that, you said form doesn't exist. Because form is just a function what, of, like, are you playing Are you playing good teams or bad teams? What, so, okay, what, what, what I meant when I said that was, I mean, just simply what their league position was. Uh, I, I, I used in good form as a colloquialism in the way that the industry okay. generally uses it. But then, uh, but then if... With, with if, the qualification, I think it's a, bad, it's a bad assessment. But if at the end uh, of the season, given that everybody plays everyone else twice, everyone yeah. would have played, the 17th team played played twice or the the first play no, team twice no because che- because teams change position during the but, season but they change position but you just said they change position based on that's just a function of the schedule right like as in if you've got to play man city first and then west brom last yeah that, that's well, that, that, that's how they think about it they think it's a fair way to do it and it is obviously the fairest way to do it but in reality <laughs> it pans out that you might be playing a team that you know have won more games beforehand, so they'd be eighth for a bit, as opposed to a team that would be thirteenth. Like it, it doesn't necessarily compute that if you average it all out, you'd all be in the positions. Unless I'm just completely mistaken, and it does, and I've gone on a rant, and I'm insane. No, no, this is interesting. Um, maybe you you should just have to play. You you start by playing the team in second, and then next week you have to play whoever's in third, even if it's the same team, and so on. So that's I like it. That. Yeah, yeah. More so system, so yeah. yeah. So by definition, you are essentially playing um, the. You have to 19... play your position. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Don't know how it would work in practice, but I'm pretty no. sure we've solved that. So league tables, goodbye. We figured it out. Um, didn't realise it needed fixing, but I'm glad we did. Tell us about your next hate, Tom. Right. Again, is it a hate? It's. A, I mean, yeah, I suppose I, I don't like to hate things, but a real niggle uh, is just injury time generally mm-hmm. because it's so vague in the way that it's uh, implemented. Basically, some people get injured for a bit. We still have so much scope in our game for time-wasting uh, and it basically results in every single football match ending with uh, the referee sort of estimating amount of time that is then added on and then one team who is frustrated with the result as it currently is feeling aggrieved because that length of time is not long Mm -hmm. enough or short enough and it's just there's no reason for this as far as I can see I mean I don't know why we have a more like rugby league system when the time switches off I like I, I feel like maybe the only reason they do it is for like broadcasting schedules but games finish and start at different times now anyway it feels like a real anachronism and it basically just results in yeah us going down to one person's whim who intuits <laughs> something based on whether an injury was real or not or how long someone's been mm. down and it, it's just a mm. complete like vagary in a game which I don't see any particular reason for and and the thing that's especially annoying me about time wasting at the moment is the fact that with the new thing about head injuries, um, and obviously referees have always had to stop the game for a head injury, but there's now a real paranoia about it. Defenders are getting a boot anywhere near their face, and then they collapse to the ground, which then stops an attack because the referee has to stop the game. And then when you watch the replay afterwards, and the referee, and, and you can see that the defender is fake this, which is happening more and more, they get no punishment for it. So my general gripe is how vague injury time is. My specific gripe is that the head injury thing, defenders are now cheating to use the to basically make the most of it. Actually, that's a very interesting specific point because um, generally I'm not massively fussed about play acting, but I think maybe faking a head injury in 2021 is perhaps the most insidious form of gamesmanship, Jack, because you're essentially tapping into a moral panic to save your team the time. some precious seconds. It's happening all yeah. the time. Uh, and I just think that we should start getting punished for it, basically. Yeah, it's an interesting point Tom raises about um, about the timing, and because it's so antithetical to VAR football. Like VAR exactly. football yeah. is football moving in the direction of everything being measured, scientific, mathematical, objective, taking all of the sort of fun and chaos and silliness out, or a lot of the silliness out of the game. And then to have both a VAR thing, to have a VAR world when offsides of are judged by slow-mo, like, right down to the millimetre. And then at the same time, to have 
you know, uh, Stuart Atwell or whoever be like, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, yeah. uh, five. <laughs> the two things are completely in tension with one another. Like you can't, how can you have VAR and then still have this imprecise timing? Jack, given the kind of suspiciously short and long periods of added on time that we tend to get, do you think it's, it's, do you think given all the other crap that they have to deal with administratively and disciplinarily, do you think referees should just admit they don't give a fuck about accurate amounts of injury times? Like, I, I don't care. I'm going to I'm going to blow the whistle when that goal kick is taken after the amount of time I think is suitable for the end of this match. That's basically what happens, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there, I think there is no good argument against a basketball style countdown, like uh, uh, you know, doing it properly with no. As in stopping the watch when the ball goes out of play and then restarting it when it restarts. But ga- mm. games would go on forever. That is that is a fundamental point of that. Games would last like three hours. Yeah, but they could change that. Or they could change the circumstances in which they stop the clock. You know, only stop okay. it for certain things like goals. Don't stop it for throwings. I don't know. It, that would be Sorry. a better system. Tom, the kind of real kind of um, nuances of added on time. At an Arsenal game... Have you ever heralded the announcement of the amount of injury time with a kind of howl of derision? I mean, I well, feel like I mean, five I, I, minutes is the is the threshold for this. Well, five? I, I, I've watched so many games of football with my dad and I feel like it's just par for the course where when that number comes up, my dad goes, where did they get that from? And that <laughs> it's exactly it's those words. It's exactly, where did they, where did they yeah. get it that from? And, and it's exactly what you say. The referee just made an estimation because the referee's got enough. He's got enough on his plate refereeing a top level game of football to be constantly stopping his watch, starting his watch, and then making a sufficient guess. Because as you say, there's so many vagaries with injuries and time wasting. Like sometimes someone will waste time, and the referee will just add forty seconds on because one person has wasted time right at the end of the match. It's like, well, why isn't that happening for the entire rest of the match when people are wasted? It just it's impossible for them to qualify. And you say the game's going to last forever. I don't. I think if you did a, a few test matches and you worked out, as you said, when to stop the clock, when to start the clock, you could just have a much more easily, more processable way. And I think, as you say, this is a thing with football specifically. Again, with the head injuries, like there's there's a way that rugby do it where, you know, a player comes off for a certain amount of time and then they can be subbed back on. But football's mm. like, no, nah, we're better than that. We're going to have our own system. But <laughs> it's just it's just completely confusing now, basically, where you, the players can come off, but the doctors don't have enough time to actually assess whether they've got a concussion and they just get sent back on and there's some sort of fake sub. It's just, why don't you just make it simpler, like almost all the other sports, and go, the time stops and then it starts again when the sport's actually happening. Jack, I also think that uh, injury time is a classic example of when people who think they know the rules come out of the woodwork uh, and they're sort of spam kind of technicalities at you I really enjoy it when people who are aggrieved about the amount of injury time that was given start listing all the things that happened in the game well there was three substitutions (laughs) that's 30 seconds each Uh, there was four goals exactly where are you getting this information from it's a bit like the daylight rule in offside what are you talking about 30 seconds per substitution is just the ultimate like I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I've heard this and it sounds right. So you've got to so it's four substitutions. That's two minutes at a minimum before we get before we get onto the goal celebrations. Yeah, and the refs the refs will like hurry a substitute off. Well, they've changed the rules so now the sub can go off the other side of the pitch, right? So they they are making attempts to stop this time wasting, but there's actually no way of assessing what time wasting is and what impact it has on the match as a whole. I, I think this, I think we've exhausted all the potential also, uh, pedantry. This, this, this isn't is even the point that I'm angry about to qualify. This isn't. <laughs> I'm not ranting yet. <laughs> fine, fine. Um, I was going to say we'll move on to your third and final, but I'm going to allow you four this week because I really like the fourth one that you came up with. Um, okay, I appreciate although, it. Okay. Having, having said that, producer Dave has just deleted it from the Google Docs. I don't think we are allowed <laughs> to have it. What a shame. Oh, no. Which uh, one has he deleted? It's like a director of football kind of undermined. Oh, no, he's put it back in. He's put it back in. Everything's fine. Sorry, Dave. Okay. Um, time is ticking. Do, do, but, do, you um, mind, do you mind which order I do them in? Uh, I, I no, go for it. Okay, go for all right, it. Okay, so the, ne- the next one I get annoyed about is um, how... TV commentators and directors regularly ignore outrageous bits of skill from footballers. And I feel like there is a complete blind spot in football coverage for this massive element of the game. We all talk about how managers design tactics to get players into one-on-one situations. Um, But we never talk in any detail about what actually occurs when a player does some skill and dribbles past someone. Like, you, you'll, you'll frequently get like pundits going, oh, we shouldn't be doing that there. Or they get accused of showboating. The most you get is, oh, with a lovely bit of skill. 
So it goes past with a lovely bit of skill. It's so specific. It's just like it's like someone going, "Oh, that's a lovely bit of goal." Do you know what I mean? Like we we have other <laughs> words to describe these things. Yeah. These skills have specific names, like and I think I think pundits know three. They know the step over, the nutmeg, and the Cruyff mm. turn. You might get someone describing them as a Cruyff, but you know they're supposed to be experts in the game, right? Mm. So you know you've got the roulette, the elastico, the aurelia, the drivella, the fake kick, the mule kick, the biava, the hocus pocus, the acocha, the rabona, the rivalina, the fake pullback, the cut, the Matthews cut, the rain, whether an arrow chop, the inside hook, the pullback V, the single lunge, double lunge, and the seal dribble. They've got all My of those, but, but they never they never even refer to them. And, and, and players, they know how important these skills are. You, you've seen it in training when they're doing the rondo and someone does a nutmeg, they all go nuts when they're playing a training match. They do. Some I don't skills, like, like that. Oh, I find what? it quite annoying. I right. find all yeah, the screaming but, about but, nothing but, really annoying. But the players understand, and they're presumably trained in these skills. They know them. But why do the people covering the sport not not even know how to describe these things? You know. Uh, when, when you know, I want the commentator to say, "Oh, and Pepe's done Luke Shaw with a double travailer, triple backflip pike, or whatever." Do you know what I mean? I just want it to be more specific instead of just being like, "Oh, he's done a bit of skill." Like, aren't you? Aren't you an expert? Aren't you supposed to know what's happening here? Aren't you supposed to be describing it anyway? You, you have opened my eyes to so many things in the last 53 minutes well, or so. I'm so I, thrilled got... to be on this podcast, which is the one avenue, because people on my WhatsApp group do not care. No, no, it's amazing how, how little people seem to care about um, anything we talk about in this podcast anywhere else in life. It's very annoying. Two, ave- two avenues to go down here. First of all, Jack, Tom's point that... Um, that kind of broadcasting generally seems to skim over skills, individual bits of skill. Why is this? Do we think that sort of skill, sort of moments of skill are just so frivolous and they aren't part of the bigger picture? That's probably quite a wrong way of looking at it now I think about it. Yeah, I think that I think most English people, particularly, you know, people of the ages older than us who would be doing, who, who would be commentating, grew up in a football where, you know, you wouldn't do a, a roulette or a flick flack or... Um, a, a rainbow dribble or, or any of that stuff and so it's not really like you know it happens but you don't mm. know you don't have the vocabulary to articulate it and you also feel a bit uncomfortable with the with the idea of it i think i think t- tom is absolutely right here because i've, I've been thinking a, a, a lot about specifically this point with regards to ndombele the other day ndombele mm. i think is like the most like creatively skillful player in the premier league who does all sorts of mad stuff to get past opponents and and yeah. people don't know the words for it. Like people don't know like what is you know what are the names for the things that you do, and Dombalay. And Dombalay is a very interesting example because the skills that he pulls off are fundamental to his style of play. They're not just they're not just garnishing no, not what he's doing. They are fundamental yeah. to what he's trying to do. Yeah, completely. And, and, and I feel like to do to accurately describe the contribution of Ndombele, I'm trying to think who what other players are there in the Premier League right now who are that imaginative as i say I, I, i'm arsenal fan i only really watch arsenal games and, and pepe is is the most skillful dribbler i've ever seen like his end product i don't know i've been having a go at but but the, he can go past two or three players with a combination of these skills that are just so dexterous and so incredible and this is basically where the points come from because it'll do that sometimes the director might even show a replay of it but the commentators and pundits will be almost silent they, 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 they yeah. almost won't know what to say when they see, because Pepe will beat someone, do something amazing, but then you, the cross won't be good. The shot won't be good. The commentators are great at talking about crosses and shots and passes. And <laughs> they love crosses, don't but, they? But, yeah, but, but, but when, when you're talking about this bit of the game, which is absolutely yeah. fundamental, one-on-ones, like wingers going mm. past people, they just go quiet. <laughs> they go, oh, that was nice or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, given that you've, you, you're talking about this in the context of, of sort of action replays on TV, so we've talked about it from a kind of technical perspective. We, we're, we're suggesting that perhaps it's being kind of brushed over a little bit. But the second thing is maybe this is a cultural thing because if you watch major tournaments and perhaps maybe Champions League games where foreign TV directors mm. are in charge of things, they will dwell on little bits of skill way more than we do here. You'll get sort of really luxurious slow motion sort of, um, Cruyff turns and, and you think well this is going on for a little bit too long and they think that's, we would never that have is, that here. I did actually think that when I was thinking this I was thinking when you cover the World Cups they dwell on skills a lot more but they also dwell on like pretty women in the crowd so I, <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up because I was like I don't want to have that as one of my loves you know what I mean <laughs> but, you, but you are no, there's completely a, right <laughs> there's a, there's, um, I mean that reminds me there's an incredibly um, uncomfortable moment I'm trying to remember what the exact publication was it's basically a um, it's a goals video of the 1998 World 
World Cup. It's a goals compilation. And Barry Davis does the commentary for it. But it's it's one of those commentaries that's redone afterwards. Right? It wasn't live. So he's basically redone all the commentary for all the goals. And in the middle of it all, there is a kind of close-up of a pretty lady in the crowd, as World Cups are wont to do in in, uh, in previous uh, generations. And, uh, and Barry Davis, I mean, I can't remember the exact wording, but he basically goes, oh, look at that. And he's like, <laughs> I don't want Barry Davis doing that. I don't want Jim Rosenthal doing that. And I don't want Barry Davis doing that. <laughs> yeah, that, he only does that when uh, when extra time comes up and he's, he's not happy with the amount of time given for stoppage time. That's what he says. Exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of um, uh, sort of our recognition of individual bits of skill, I mean, again, this is a kind of bit of fan behaviour that I've never quite got my head around. Maybe I don't go to enough games. Tom, have you ever kind of wolf whistled a piece of skill on a, on a football pitch? No, I tell you what I do, which I imagine irritates people around me quite a lot, is I just, I, I go something like someone at an opera, I'll be like, oh, look at, oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Did you see that? And like, I am fully aware that like this antipathy towards skill is also shared by quite a lot of people around me, simply because of the culture that is propagated on, on the media, in my opinion. So like when I get really excited about like Meza Ozil just like letting the ball run through his legs or something, and other people just don't don't like it. So I, 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 I'm fully aware it's quite like a pretentious point. And I, I enjoy it sort of like a fireworks display or like a fine wine <laughs> or something. I'm just like, hmm, oh, look yeah. at that. You sound a bit like the people who, will like laugh ostentatiously loudly at the jokes in 12th night to show that they <laughs> yeah, knew exactly. that that was a joke like <laughs> exactly. i did this exactly. at uni i know it's, it's a joke <laughs> like that yeah it's a sick vibe it's a sick oh, no, vibe that's bang on that is bang on you, you've nailed I, th- I feel like there are more subtle things that you would you could react to in a football game that would demonstrate that sort of um in-depth knowledge i mean a bit of skill is is supposed to entertain oh. maybe like a, i know like a, a pass that that progresses more than 10 meters you think ah breaking the lines yeah <laughs> yeah or yeah, someone no. slotting in at you know, Precisely. Full, full it's, it's someone someone cutting off a passing lane to prevent the uh, fullback <laughs> overlapping. I think that'd be like, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Interesting that you should say that, Tom. Um, people digging into the kind of tactical sides of things because you have a bonus hate for us, no, and I really, that, really like this one. Th- thank you very much for allowing me uh, a fourth because my, mm. my my fourth hate and my biggest hate, and again, it does involve an element of pretension is uh, any tactical advice shouted by any fan in any stadium. I get absolutely furious <laughs> when anyone stands up and says anything like, why don't you pass? Why don't you shoot? At the Emirates, is probably worse than most stadiums from this. People yeah, complain okay. after like three minutes for doing the wrong pass, the wrong shot. But I just got so furious almost every match because like th- these people, you, you know you know the kid at your school who was good at football, mm. right? Everyone had a kid who was really good at football, right? And that, and that kid, you know, he's way better than anyone at school. He might have gone and played in the Vanarama or something, right? He goes to yeah. Vanarama and he's like average there. And there's someone who's really good in his Vanarama team. And, and, that, and that player might go into League Two and then he's kind of average there. But there's someone who's really good in his League Two team, right? And that player might go into the Championship and then he's quite average there. And that, and that player might go into the Premier League, right? And, then, and that is average at the Premier League. And then there's people who's really good in the Premier League team. These people are so much better than any person you've ever even met, you've ever seen in a football pitch, right? They're just incredible at football. And you're going to stand up and go, I think you should do this. I think you think you know better, do you, than this person who spent their entire life playing football, who's making this decision yeah. based on all their experience and all their skill, and is also being instructed by someone who knows way more than you about football. I think you should have shot there. I know more than like, like it doesn't happen. You don't go to the Olympics and shout at the sprinters, go, Why aren't you running faster? Do you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. It's stupid. Stop it. Just enjoy it. They're amazing. They might have made a mistake, they might have misassessed the situation, but they definitely know better than you. Shut up. Um, um, glorious stuff but I, I've got two main takeaways from here first what? of all um, I, I mean I guess shouting in a, in a stadium should be inherently an, an emotional thing it shouldn't so there yeah, shouldn't be any room this for technical I've language got, I've, got, I've got no emotions I really don't I, I, oh, okay. I, surely my assessment of the game has illustrated you that I am probably too technical in my enjoyment of football oh, wait. Uh, and it would seem I, so I, 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 but I, I also it's just so annoying like when you watch Arsenal especially Arsenal like they're just amazing footballers. They're beautiful. I'm like, sure, they're flawed, but they're flawed compared to other Premier League footballers who are all amazing. And yeah, I yeah, just always feel so privileged to watch these people who are brilliant playing football. And everyone's talked about that, you know, being in the in the stadiums when there's no people or whatever. All the journalists go, it's just incredible to see these people, these athletes, these monsters being able to, like, compete in the way that they do. And then when some banker stands up and has a go at someone for passing instead of shooting, I, it just makes me furious. And I have <laughs> 
to I basically have to internalize it and not say anything until I can come on a podcast like this and absolutely unleash with my absolute hate. I'm happy to say hate with this one. Yeah, you do hate this one. That's fine. You're very welcome. But um, to, uh, Jackie, I, we, we should separate the, the technical kind of exclamations from the kind of emotional side because if a, if a fan sort of stands up and says fucking sort it out then it's then it's it's kind of they're kind of releasing their own frustration they're not actually issuing an instruction I'm way behind that I love that yeah again so if you're telling a player to kind of oh no stick to the wing or you know do something very overly technical that's basically futile because not only will they not only are you not in a position to be issuing that instruction they can't hear you and they won't do it anyway so yeah. it is essentially a futile thing to do isn't it yeah, it, it, it is completely futile. This conversation has made me want fans back even more. Like, you know, obviously yeah, I haven't, yeah. been, haven't yeah. been to a game of fans wait. since March. <laughs> uh, but even then, like, I, you know, because by virtue of being a journalist, like, I don't I, I don't go to Premier League games as a fan very much nowadays at all. But and I, I imagine this has probably got worse in the last 10 years because of, because of yes. people like Michael Cox, if we're honest. <laughs> um, and it's probably a, a lot more, you know, close down the passing lanes or Sadio, coordinate the counter press. <laughs> I, I imagine that sort of thing is worse and much worse now than it would have been uh, 10 or even five years ago. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I wouldn't mind someone shouting something as uh, tactically complex as that. The people who sat around me at the Emirates, they don't. They just get annoyed when someone passes, like, mm. in, instead of shooting or, you know, it, they'll get annoyed when the defenders are mucking about at the back. And sure, at Burnley away, they might have had a point, yeah. right? Yeah. But I still think there's a reason why they're doing that. It's a tactical plan, which you have no part of. Stop pretending like you know what you're talking about. They're, <laughs> they're smart. They're football experts. Just enjoy mm. it. We have some absolutely immense contributions from our listeners for this one but I, I also want to throw into the mix um, Tom I, I know that going to games and uh, expressing yourself at a game is the most wholesome way of doing this but is this phenomenon even worse when it happens in a pub when you're watching a game on TV when someone's shouting tactical instructions at a big screen it's interesting that I can't people clapping people clapping substitutions memory. at the pub <laughs> I, mate I, I'm doing that every single time I, I, I've got to say like, I, I, I like standing up and clapping yeah 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 especially yeah if I've had a drink or something I don't know I don't know what it is specifically I think it is it's literally just a bit in people's heads thinking that they should be telling this person who is amazing at what they do what yeah. they should be doing. I think that's the real frustration. That's part of the entitlement of a season ticket. Listen, you spend a lot of money. Maybe well, that is your right. You get to do that unless you're, unless you're being abusive, I suppose. That's clearly the opinion of these people. It, uh, it isn't. I, I feel like you pay to have the, the pleasure and the honour of being in the presence of these people doing just ridiculous things that give you constant pleasure. And, I, and, I, mm. and this is another thing. I suppose the thing with the skill thing, I feel like people don't derive as much pleasure from the game as they should, especially like watching Arsenal. Like anyone who's watched bad football knows what a different experience is to be actually allowed into an elite Premier League match and to see just the constant skill. I'm sort of one of those pricks that will like applaud an opposing team's goal if it's really good. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, right. Not, That's not fine. obnoxiously, I like that. not obnoxiously, but I'll be like, wow, that was amazing. Whereas some people yeah. are so myopic. They just all they want to see is the Arsenal team kick the ball in the net, and, and then yeah. they can go home and you know be happy. And I, 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 I just not really like that. I don't enjoy the game like that. And I just, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. It, it probably is a bit pretentious, but I, it's just been burning inside me for so long that people don't enjoy the beautiful game as much as they should. We, we have some things that our listeners have overheard in that vein at live football matches. Um, Sam, uh, most consistently good contributor to this podcast, by the way, you should have him on one day, really. Um, he says, not advice for the team necessarily, but I heard a Spurs fan shout at Pochettino from the top of Wembley to use your whole technical area. Not a clue what he meant. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Jack, That's tell great. me what that could possibly mean. Wow. I, I've never, I, I've ne- I must say that I'm kind of... B- blown away by that i've never heard of my theory is is that some you know a a sizable portion of fans just don't want their manager sitting down and not kind of influencing the game with his arm movement so i guess the closer you are to the pitch and therefore at the extremity of your technical area the more influence this fan will think you're having on the game and Mm. therefore by proxy they are influencing the game i don't know i think that could be the only explanation people like their managers waving their arms about and shouting so that could be the only thing that that may have been in that Spurs fan's head. Anyway, Alex Sheedy says, at Villa versus Sheffield Wednesday, when I was very young, the bloke behind me shouted at fullback Ian Nolan, Nolan, where's your fucking sisters? I was young and wasn't aware the Nolan sisters were a thing. And I genuinely thought he was trying to get in his head by asking about his family. <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely incredible. Um, uh, what a thing to shout at a game, Tom. Yeah, yeah, no question. Actually, I, I remember sort of sitting with the thing. I used to watch Wickham growing up, and um, they had a fullback called Danny Sender, and we'd spend right. the whole match shouting "Return to Sender." Oh dear! <laughs> so I, I, I think clearly it's the same. It's the same impulse here. You've got something in your head, and you think it sounds really yeah. good, and then yeah. you shout it, and you think, "I'm a dick! I am a dick!" <laughs> but you kept on doing it, which well, is Wickham, I don't know, which is obviously Wickham's a, Wickham's a nice family club, so there was no one to tell us to stop shouting whatever bizarre post office pun that we were trying to get at. But. Uh... Yeah, no, I, I think if you've got something in your head, why not get it out there? I don't want people just shouting shit jokes. Just don't tell them to uh, enforce the counterpress or whatever, yeah. Jack, what's the, what's the cleverest thing you've had in your head and then shouted it and it sounded terrible at Dulwich Hamlet? <laughs> wow. Generally, this is going to sound awful. At Dulwich, we, know. <laughs> we try not to, uh, like, jeering the opposition, jeering the opposition fans, jeering the opposition oh players. It's just not it's not really a thing. Like you, It's right. all about, yeah, I mean, obviously you want Dulwich to win, but... Um, not you. You don't necessarily want to see the opposition humiliated, and the banter with opposition keepers is always incredibly friendly. So if there's a so, goal, if there's a goal at Dulwich Hamlet, and the opposing fans think the ball's gone in and it hasn't, you just all go give them a hug and go, "Don't worry." I can see what you thought. I can see why you it's, thought. It, it doesn't in. look like that from there. To be fair, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> done that. <laughs> Our our final our final contribution from listener takes us down a very existential um, place. John Sands. I used to stand near a guy at Bristol Rovers matches who used to shout, "What the bloody hell is that all about?" Approximately fifty times per match. I did eventually wonder if he had no concept at all of what he was watching (laughs) or why he was even there. Um, I mean. Tom, I suppose that is the sort of thing people shout at matches, I and mean, when they don't have the technical yeah, knowledge, exactly. and perhaps they don't have, they don't know what needs to happen in the game to make it better. And, they shout this, things like that. Honestly, this does happen, and, and as you might have told for this podcast, I, I, I can be a bit of a prick, and so some, when someone be like, <laughs> "What are you doing there?" I will turn around and be like, "Well, he's trying to find the through ball because the run's clearly gone there, but the run has actually stopped, and that's why he had to check, and that's why he's passed that out of play." Like I'll, I'll, I'll mutter it to myself just so they can hear it, but not loud enough that they're going to actually start a fight. Uh, like. I, 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 I feel like if you if you ask an open question like what what are you doing there yeah I mean I, I am going to answer you in a very pr- uh, sort of uh, patronising and, and prickish way so maybe I'm not very fun maybe I just shouldn't go and watch football maybe I should just watch it privately <laughs> in my own home and mutter at the TV because I'm so bitter and twisted um, do you not I feel more know. self-conscious shouting at a game given that it's your profession to say funny things uh, I mean, do you, well I, mean, I, I don't know whether I, I'm I, my pro- I'm sort of known for um acting in things where I'm sort of told what to say. I, there's a script, right. so I, I don't feel yeah. like people hold hold me too much to account to be particularly witty in a football match. Oh, so this is all original um, material when you're in the game. That's, like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. good to know. It's, it's, it's just purely spouting out about league form, and no one finds it very funny at all. <laughs> well, um, as I say, this has been an incredibly enlightening and, and often very pedantic hour of my life. Um, this really was the, in, the perfect cross-section of what Meza Harland Dick should be about. We have covered... The great moment when teams are wearing their away shorts with their home shirt or vice versa. Obviously, when part of the crowd thinks the goal's gone in and you know that it has not. World Cup match balls, which we which we delved into very deep. The illustration of league form, which you have found is to be utterly flawed. Now I agree, but I didn't before. Um, the labyrinth that is injury time. TV directors not focusing on bits of skill. And then finally, tactical advice shouted by any fan in the stadium. How much, how, how is a weight off your shoulders after all of that? I mean, I don't know. I feel like I might have to go and have a cry or something because it, it, is, mm. it is decades of watching football where these uh, little annoyances are built up. So, I mean, I really thank you for giving me a voice. And I'm, I'm very curious to see if, if anyone on the internet shares any of these opinions. Uh, they will. And I, they I, would will. Love, I would love to just get the injury time thing fixed and hopefully the next generation of broadcasters might know, you know, to describe a, a Rabona or a Rivellino or a fake pullback in, with, the, with the correct terminology, which would make me very happy. But then I'm sure I'll find other stuff to get very bitter and annoyed about as I age. No, we just we just we just want you to be happy. We just want you to be happy. thank you so much Thank for joining you us much, in your me. in your knockoff Meza well not a knockoff no, official, official Meza Club shop Fenerbahce t-shirt. Yes indeed. From your undisclosed it. location. All, all um, I need now is a goalkeeper glove jacket to finish the look. Yeah, I'll be just... Ready to hit the town. <laughs> um you you're probably on enough money. Get one, definitely. 
don't know. I don't know how much it costs, but I, you definitely. Um, Jack is yeah. almost certainly on enough money, so one of you needs to uh, get hold of it and uh, show me what it looks like. Um, thank you so much, Tom. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Jack, thanks to you too. My pleasure as always. See you next week, everybody. The Athletic. <laughs>